looking at the second of the signs that is in John's Gospel, so we're in chapter 4, chapter 4 of John's Gospel. Now, this is only the second sign, but this is not the second miracle. So, there have been other miracles that Jesus has performed, but John did not see fit to include them because the miracles that he picked out and put together in the narrative here of John's Gospel, he is calling these miracles signs. They're signs that have meaning. These are signs that God has given. So God has given us a sign that we are to understand. And these signs basically are there to reveal things about ourselves, but they're there also to bring attention to who Jesus is and in calling attention to Jesus that we would put our faith in him, faith in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of these signs are meant to challenge you and me on a daily basis. Some of them are intended to bring us to faith. Some of the signs are intended to develop our faith. And we've always got to have that in mind as we consider uh, John's writing. Now in chapter 4, verse 43. After two days in Samaria, Jesus departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official, a nobleman, whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. 
Now, as we look at this, the first thing that we see is a common factor with the story that we looked at last week, which was the first sign, the changing of the water into wine. And that common factor is that man is always lacking. Now, this is going to be true of our unconverted friends. They are insufficient for life. They are lacking what they need to live as a human being. That's hard for people to believe. You look at them and, you know, if we watch things uh, on television and pick up media circulations and look at them, and we see these people, and we know they're not believers, and I mean they're doing a whole lot better than you and I are. I mean... Some of these people basically make a movie and they could retire 40 times for the amount of money that they're going to have as a result of that. But that's not what we're talking about. These people's lives are empty even though they have much of what the world says is going to bring fulfillment. Man is insufficient and lacking. And the issue that's involved here is they're dealing with life on their own level and they don't know God and they don't know him in a personal manner and it's for these reasons that man apart from God and apart from Christ is lacking in living in a manner that is insufficient for the realities of genuine life the life that God intended us to live was intended to be lived in a dynamic relationship, knowing him in all his sufficiency, knowing him personally so that we can access him in a relationship that we call a relationship of faith and love. So this is the situation here as we begin to look at this. Man is always lacking, insufficient, and in need of God personally. Now, when you look at these verses, verse 43 that introduces this, you see that this is true of these people that are referred to here as the Galileans. So Jesus is moving from the southern regions of his ministry in Judea. He's moving north. He's come through the middle section of the hill countries, called Samaria, now he's going north from there and he's entering into the area of the Galilee. It's still elevation-wise high. You can see that in the language of the man when he says, please come down. The man lived right along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and the elevation there wasn't nearly as high. Still in the hill country here. These Galileans, though, this is where Jesus grew up. Uh, This is his own hometown area. This is where he is known. And so Jesus makes this comment that a prophet has no honor in his own country. I kind of feel what that means. I mean, I grew up in West Palm Beach, Florida, Lake Worth, Florida, and I've told you some about me growing up down there. And just to be honest, I don't know how, I'm sure it's been a long, long time, and 
not very many people would even know me down there and probably wouldn't make any difference now. But I used to fear going home to preach down there. I was afraid somebody might show up. <laughs> and if they showed up, you know, just the, they could have just shared one or two things of my testimony uh, that could have negated a whole lot of ministry. So, but Jesus hadn't anything like that in his background, but they were familiar with him. They knew him. This was a boy who became a young man and apprenticed as a carpenter and and lived amongst them. And basically, in the way that they looked at Jesus, here was somebody they knew. They knew him. Now he's talking about him being a prophet. Prophet. Now, wait a minute. A prophet is not his own man. And immediately, that's part of the problem that Jesus is facing. Jesus knows that he is, of all men that have ever lived, he is not a private person. This is a man literally on a mission. You know, we talk about the President of the United States. He is not a private person. He is a public figure. And as a result of it, we look up to him through his office. Now, when these people looked at Jesus, they saw Jesus and not the office. They saw a man and not a prophet. And so Jesus is saying that this is the way he would be treated. And, but he said that the Galileans, in verse 45, were more than happy to have him because they saw that there was something about Jesus that they had missed because he was able to work wonders. He was able to do miracles. He was be able to have cures. And certainly these people wanted those such things for themselves. So they wanted Jesus... They just didn't want his ministry. So this is some of the introductory things that we're told here. Now, if we just stopped there and looked at this, we would begin to think that the future for Jesus in ministry in Galilee looks bleak. This does not look like a place of great success and opportunity. Well, From that perspective, we can understand what's going on here. But from the Galileans' perspective, Jesus looks at them, and he's seeing them like this. These people have no concept of what life really is. These Galileans are looking at life and saying, not like one of the old philosophers of the 1700s when Descartes said, These are the best of all times and the worst of all times. No, these Galileans said life is good. Life is wonderful. Life is abundant. It would be like the United States in the 90s and in the early, uh, it's like Harry Dent Jr. wrote that book, The Roaring 2000s. He thought it would never end. Prosperity was a part of these people's lives. So they're sufficient in themselves, and Jesus knows that they're lacking. 
They're lacking the thing of a real relationship with God that can give life. Now, the key thing that Jesus is speaking about is these people are standing much like the old uh, American portrayal of themselves in, in the late 1800s. Americans are people that can do what? What can they do? Yeah, they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. <laughs> well, I like what the children were saying about 10 years ago about things like that. It's represented now in a lot of our signage where you see a, a sign that has a statement on it. And then on the front of the sign, it's got a big red circle with a diagonal red line through the middle of that circle. What does that, what does that circle with the diagonal line mean? Not. <laughs> not. It's not the way they thought it was. Jesus knew that. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that about the people with whom you mingle, who sense their all-sufficiency? Can you come to grips that it, apart from a personal relationship with God through Christ, is a not? Faith develops when we put our faith in Christ and we look to Christ to supply all that we could think or hope or ask. That's what Jesus is seeking to develop. Now, this is an introduction to this next section. So in verse 46, he actually comes out of the Samaritan region and he comes to Cana of Galilee. Notice how almost parenthetically it's put in there, the beginning of this sign Reference to the first sign where he'd made the water into wine. Again, a statement that this is not a fable, but a fact. Not something of myth, but a part of history. Jesus turned water into wine. Now, in that context, uh, you have a, a prominent person who comes to Jesus. Now, the English Standard Version from which I read has, I guess, the least dynamic understanding of that man. Because it merely says that he is an official. That's all it says, an official. Well, when you go to the New American Standard Version, it says better that he is a royal official. Now, if you were to go back to the King James Version, the King James Version, again, is a little bit of a superlative. It calls him a nobleman. Now, you begin to sense that uh, in this area of Capernaum, there is an individual who is going to come to Jesus, and he's not the run-of-the-mill individual. If there's the people of Galilee feel themselves typically to be sufficient in and of themselves, how much more 
would somebody see themselves as being self-sufficient if they were a nobleman, if they were a royal official? Not an anybody, but a sure enough somebody. That's what is being conveyed to us here. So this person, this man, a royal official, we are told, is from Capernaum, and his son is sick. Now again, where Jesus was up here in Canaan, a high country, down here a low country near the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. This man hears that Jesus has come out of Judea and come into the Galilean region. He's probably also heard what is said in verse 45 through the rumor mill that Jesus has performed cures and wonders. He may have even known about the water into wine incident, possible, but more than likely he's heard about the things that Jesus has done there in Jerusalem at this feast. And so when he heard that Jesus had come out of this Judea, he is going to go to him. Now notice the way in verse 47, it's just very simple. When he heard, he went. When he heard, he went to him and was employing him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, it's very interesting here. Jesus is a him. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Galilee, he went to him, imploring him, come down and heal my son. It, 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 there's just kind of the language here of a superior to an inferior. That's kind of the language that you get here. That this nobleman sees himself, even in his need, as being above. So he comes to Jesus, and not only does he want him, his son healed, but he wants him to come down. He's imploring Jesus to come down to his son. Now, what's going on here, I would say the second thing that we need to see is that God has presented Jesus to us to cause us to develop in our faith in God through Jesus and to develop that through the way of asking. Now, again, we're dealing with an exemplary Galilean to, this, to Jesus, uh, this nobleman's conduct now is representative. What Jesus sees in this man, in one person, is what Jesus has come to see as being typical of the entire population of the Galilean region. So Jesus sees this. And so Jesus just basically says the same thing that we see in the introductory section in verse 48. Jesus said to him, Unless you people, now it's vague whether it's to the populace in front of him or whether it's directly to the individual man, unless you yourself see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. But what this man wanted was a wonder. He wanted a cure. He wanted a healing. 
He wanted his son restored. That's all he wanted. Now, that in itself is so typical of all the people that we deal with. Many people in the church, all they want is what Jesus can give. And that is a very dangerous situation to be in. Um, Parts of the Bible, the New Testament in particular, talk about people that are in the church. And they benefit from seeing all the things that are going on in the life of a church. And they witness all of this, but they don't benefit from it. They participate in it, but they don't benefit from it. Because they're only wanting from Jesus what they can get from Jesus. And that is a very weak situation to be in. So Jesus has a different goal. Now, what is Jesus' goal? It's in verse 48. You will not believe. So Jesus obviously wants them to believe. Belief becomes the thing that the emphasis falls on from this point in time on. There is the need, and then there is the desire of Jesus, and the desire of Jesus for the person with the need is belief. You have needs. I have needs. We come to Jesus. Again, so many of us only want what Jesus or what we can get from Jesus. Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants something much more than that. He wants us to believe in him, to completely believe in him. So in verse 50 and in verse 53, the idea of belief begins to come to the forefront now of Jesus' goal for the nobleman, for the Galileans, and for us. So the nobleman now begins to do something that's different. And it's just subtle to see how this comes out in verse 48 or verse 49. So now the royal official says to him, Sir, (laughs) now wait a minute. I was saying at the beginning, the way the thing was structured was the royal official was saying to Jesus, no, sir. (laughs) Now, as Jesus challenges this man, the royal official puts himself down here and looks up to Jesus and says, sir. Do we do that in our relationship with Jesus? Do we humble ourselves? Do we exalt him? That's faith. Jesus is seeing something here that is not representative. What's been representative in the Galilean district is these people don't really see anything in Jesus. There isn't a Galilean that was alive at this time that would have looked at Jesus and said, Sir, not one, but here's one, and it's the beginning. It's the beginning. And so this man now sees that Jesus is requiring something of him, and he says to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus Seeing in this man a change 
is now going to challenge to see if faith can be developed. And so in the next verse, Jesus does not give him what he wants, but rather gives him a test. Go. Your son will live. I can tell you from being a pastor, if I tried that, or if one of the pastors on the staff tried that, well, as the umpire said behind the plate, you're out of here. It would be about that quick. Jesus is trying to develop faith in this man. So he just says to him, you go, your son lives. But he's called this man, sir. Something's changed in this royal official, in its faith. And when Jesus says, go, he accepts Jesus' word. Now, dear people, if there's something that we need to learn, is to accept Jesus' word. We want to improve upon Jesus' word. We want to test Jesus' word. We want to qualify Jesus' word. We want to do all kinds of things with Jesus' word. This man simply accepted Jesus' word and went on his way. This is a very key lesson for us to learn. Well, he accepts this. He goes off believing. He meets the slaves from his own household. The slaves, without even being asked, tell him that his son is living. The man begins to speak, and he asks, when did the child begin to get better? They said yesterday, the seventh hour, which would be one o'clock in the afternoon. The fever left him. The fever left him. It's amazing. From Capernaum, there's a healing from a man that was in Cana. Can we not understand that while we're on earth and Christ is in heaven, he hears our prayers and can answer them? The father knew that it was at the same hour that Jesus said this. Now the language is that he himself believed. Notice the emphatic, he himself believed. This is saving faith. This is Christian salvation. But notice, too, he's a representative. His whole household believed. He's got a wife, she believed. We know at least he has a son, we know he believes. He says he has slaves, the slaves believe. Everybody believes in this household. And this is a sign that this salvation is going to penetrate all of Galilee. It's going to transform all of the Galileans. And he's a representative. You know, African-American community, you got the Ethiopian eunuch. First one that I know about in the scriptures, it's pretty clear this man was an African-American. What was he? Well, he was the Galilean official of Africa, if you will. You have Lydia. 
She was the first convert in Europe. What did she didn't just represent herself? The Ethiopian eunuch didn't just represent himself. This man didn't just represent himself. He represented the bursting forth of the power of the gospel into the rest of the world. And as this one person believed, it was a sign. It was a sign that multitudes from that that community were going to believe. One last thing. We're fundamentalist in a sad sense, in the sense that we're individualistic. We don't believe much in this business that if a father's saved, the family will be saved. And yet we see it throughout the scriptures over and over again. Your coming to faith is a means of your family coming to faith. You have to comprehend that. It's the way God works. It's here how Jesus works. So what we see here is a great sign. It's a sign that as Jesus is accepted for who he is, his sufficiency is going to meet the needs, not of an individual, but of the entire world. That's the promise that we see here in this sign, and into the turning of the water into wine. Let's pray. Father, may we learn to believe, to have faith, to trust Jesus and take him at his word, live in his abundance and in the freedom that it brings. Help us to see the vast importance of our living by faith in a fallen world. Now we pray in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.